0: Greetings from my mom. She so wanted to be here tonight, but uh, physically right now she's not able to go out. So keep her in your prayers, please, because her heart is with us here tonight. It's a very special time for me to be here. I got here just in time to see the Pats game. Uh, yeah. My, um, I think the pilot of the plane, because I flew in on Sunday night, we were supposed to land at 6.30, and, um, we landed 45 minutes early. That's never happened to me in 35 years. Um, I got here in time to see the game turn around, and, uh, that was a, a lot of fun. On this weekend, I was in South Carolina, and there must have been a lot of Atlanta fans there. Um, I felt bad for them, but, They had to suck it up. Uh, I did talk about New England. (laughs) Uh, You know, um, Pastor already said our church will be celebrating our 35th anniversary this year, but I'm celebrating a personal anniversary. 35 years ago, in a small church a little bit down the road a ways, uh, Pastor Sam Smith laid his hands on me and set me apart for the work of the ministry. That was on the 17th of January, 1982, and 35 years later, I'm able to be with you in my home church and to be able to share with you things that God is doing, not only in my life in my family's life in our church life, but in our part of the world. We are living in extraordinary times. They are perilous, yes, Paul told us that, we shouldn't be surprised, but they're also extraordinary Because even though the world lies in darkness and great fear and and much um, discomfort and much need and much lack and much hopelessness, the church is going through something so that Jesus can bring us to the place he wants us to be because he's coming for a glorious church. A church without spot or wrinkle. He's coming for a church that's active and alive, doing the work of the ministry, reaching out to the lost. Because he said, truly, the harvest is great. And so we're seeing and experiencing that in our part of the world. I wanted to show you this. I brought a picture of an event that happened just last summer. I think I told you the last time I was here, something tremendous is going on with young people in our part of the world. And whenever you see people, young people rising up and being fearless and courageous and not having any... Um, yeah, concern concerned about what other people think about their faith in Jesus. You know something new is happening. And we're seeing that all over Europe. Just, just a few weeks ago in the city of Augsburg, which is just a small city about 30 miles away, 30 miles north of, of Munich, there was a, a four-day uh, conference for intercessory prayer. And 10,000 young people showed up. 10,000 to come and pray and learn about prayer and worship God. Now, that might not be that much in America, but you have to understand, when I first went to Germany 37 years ago, the largest Pentecostal church maybe in our city had 80 people. And you had to look really hard to find a young person. God's changed all that. And a couple of years ago, God began to move through an event called the Holy Spirit Night. They happened all over Europe this year, and um, I'm very pleased that my daughter, my oldest child, my daughter Jessica, is very much a part. She's in the leadership team of the Holy Spirit night. They plan, they pray, and there's about 13 churches in our city that work together, and something happened last summer. And I want to show you this picture, Mike, if you could just show that. That's our one of our city gates and I don't know if you can tell, but there's probably between five and 6,000 young people, open ear, worshiping Jesus. And I have to tell you this. This was on a Saturday. It started to rain. When well, that picture was going on, it was already raining. They didn't care. And if you can understand this, it was the European Soccer Championship. And right at that moment, Italy was playing Germany. That's big, because normally it's like that's like going out and worshiping God on the streets when the Pats are playing in the in the Super Bowl. That's what that's like, and thousands came out to worship God. Hundreds got saved, and I remember standing all the way back. If you look at that city gate there. That, that goes all, that's all people, all the way back there. And I'm standing in the back there, and of course there's a big screen in front, and my daughter's on the screen. She's welcoming the people, and saying, hi, I'm Jessica, and we're happy you're all here. And I'm standing back there, and I begin to cry, and I thought, I was 26 years old. Can you imagine I was 26 years old once? I was twenty-six years old when I first came to Germany. I remember walking through this part of the city. I used to live right in the inner city. I used to start we I started teaching in a Bible school uh Bible study in a home group just not far from this very place and we used to pray about the day when young people would rise up and there'd be praises and they'd be rejoicing and people would hear the name of Jesus on the streets. Now, my second thought was, God, how come I couldn't do that? How come my daughter's getting to do that? But my third thought was, I'm just glad it's happening. You see, we are living in exciting times. And the Bible says, good news from a foreign country. It's like a a nice cold drink of of water on a hot, thirsty day. So let that picture be a, a symbol of hope for what God wants to do in your life in your community, in this church, and in this whole region. Because God is no respecter of persons. You know, this has come at a lot of years and faithfulness and praying and and believing God when it didn't look possible. And this is just the beginning. This is just the beginning. And it's happening all over Central Europe. Amen. But that's not what I came to tell you. We're going to have a history lesson tonight because we are celebrating. Now, this is all part of God's plan. If we'll just be wise and lock into it and hook into it and see how God can use things, we can have a wonderful door of utterance open to us. In this year of 2017, it is 500 years since a man named Martin Luther took his 96 theses and nailed them to the church door in the city of Wittenberg. And that was the start of the Reformation. So in my country, in Germany, it is declared the year of the Reformation. Now right now, my wife is in a city very far away from where we live. she'll be performing she'll be performing all this year. She has so many um, um, uh, bookings for her play. she does a one-person play about Katie Luther, the wife of Martin Luther and tells the story of the Reformation, but seen through the family, Luther. Wow. Yes. It's, an, it's an incredible adventure on stage. And at the end of every performance, it's not come out, take a bow, and thank you, I'm so great. No, it's everybody sit there, and we're going to have a talk time. What did that do to you on the inside? And there might be prominent people on the stage. There might be a mayor on the stage. There might be a professor on the stage. There might be a Lutheran uh, pastor on the stage. And, and, but they always ask my wife. I mean, they always ask her, how do you remember all those words? That's a, that's a, a typical question. Um, she doesn't learn words. She has it in her. She knows what she needs to say when she's standing there with what she's got on, and that's how she does it. She has not memorized the lines. And yet every night, it's always the same, spot on. They always ask her, why do you do this? Why does somebody who is as gifted as you are and so professional, because it blows them away, because she is very good, and why do you do this? And she can always say, because the faith I shared tonight through Katie and Martin Luther is the faith I've learned to experience for myself. And she always gives her testimony. And it's amazing the conversations, even after the talk time when she's in the back and people come and greet her and thank her. It's a wonderful opportunity, the year of Reformation. So I thought I would come home to my home church and share with you something about the Reformation. I heard it said when the last pope that died, uh, John Paul II, uh, when he died he went to heaven, someone said, and he took out of his robe the keys to heaven. As the head of the church, he stuck him in, he tried to open the door, and it didn't work. And he thought, what is this? And suddenly an archangel came and said, do we have a problem here? And he said, excuse me, I'm Pope John Paul II, these are the keys of the, of that unlock heaven. And he said, oh, excuse me, Luther was here, he switched the locks. <laughs> You know, a famous philosopher, George Santayana, he stated this. He said, those who cannot remember the past are condemned to repeat it. I find that many Christians do not know their heritage. They love Jesus. They love their church. They endeavor to be faithful. But they don't know what got is to the place that we're at right now. And I find that when we look back, we can draw from the wells of faith and faithfulness, and it will give us courage for our day and age. So that's why I want to take you on a little journey. So please bear with me as we get a little schooly, scholarly. And yet I guarantee you, God's Spirit will give you something tonight out of what we're going to talk about. Amen. Um, My message is the big five of the Reformation. You know, hunters talk about the big five in Africa. There are five elementary truths that God gave Luther that transformed humanity. See, we have very little understanding of what the world was like before Martin Luther came on the scene. Now, he was not the only one. And we don't have time to talk about it. God was already bringing men and women forth, bringing a bit of light here and a bit of light there. But let me tell you the story of what happened. When When the church began, you have to understand, it all started in the garden when God prophesied the seed of the woman is going to bruise your head. That's what he said to Satan. And from that moment on, up until the time God spoke again from heaven and said, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. And the Holy Ghost came upon him. The devil didn't know know who's the seed of the woman. Born of a virgin, Jesus became one of us. And all these hundreds of years, the devil was looking for the one. Now he's there. He does everything he can do to stop him. And, and you know the story of the great temptations. When you think of the one temptation, showed him all the glory and the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time and said, all this is yours because it's been given unto me and I give it to whom I will. Someone says, oh, that's not true. No, no, no. That's what happened in the garden. The glory and the honor and the ability to have dominion was transferred from Adam to Satan because Adam bowed his knee. He disobeyed God. And Jesus came to get that glory back. It was a temptation. If it wasn't, Jesus would have said, you're a liar, shut up. But he didn't. He said, it is written. It is written. Jesus knew he had to go the hard way to fulfill the plan and purpose of God. And Hebrews says he did it with joy, looking to us. Looking to us. He knew he had confidence that humanity would respond to the grace of God. So Jesus dies. He's raised from the dead. On the third day, he sees his disciples. Sorry, I'm speaking too loud in my microphone. He sees his disciples and he breathes on them the breath of life, just like Adam when he was created and says, Receive ye the Holy Ghost. And new life is coming to these men. He says, go and tell the others and wait for me. And then he tells them, oh, you've got to wait in Jerusalem till the Holy Spirit comes upon you. See, there's the spirit within you. That's the new birth. But when the spirit upon you comes, that's the endowment of power for ministry to others. So you got to understand the devil didn't know. The Bible says if the kingdoms, the king, the princes, and the rulers of this earth, of this world, knew who the King of Glory was, they would have never have crucified him. So Satan's just recovering from Jesus being raised from the dead, and suddenly he sees the Holy Ghost fall on one hundred and twenty, and they become just like Jesus, empowered. And before he can recuperate, there's three thousand one hundred and twenty, and he don't know what's going on. And the church begins to multiply and have favor and grow. In spite of all persecution, in spite of all difficulties, the church is growing and growing and growing. And we hit the 4th century. And suddenly, Christianity becomes institutionalized. It was a good thought, but it wasn't right. The, 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 The emperor, Constantine... Became a Christian. Great. He made a decree. Everybody has to be a Christian. Now here's the problem. You can't force Christianity on people from the outside. Christianity must be birthed from the inside through a a, a revelation, through a, a meeting with God. And God desires to show himself to all men. But as soon as it becomes imposed from the outside, things changed. And from the 4th century to the 16th century, we entered into what we call the Dark Ages. Why? Because the light of the gospel was taken from the church. You see? Martin Luther, he was one of many, but he was a very central figure in this plan of God to get back the light of the word of God To the people. It took Satan about four centuries to figure out what's doing all this. And he realized it's what Jesus said a long time ago when he met him head on head. It is written. It is written. It's the word of God. And as he took the word of God from the people, we entered into a time where we were separated from the life of God. The story goes of Martin Luther. He was a monk. And he didn't want to be a monk. He actually wanted to be a lawyer. And he was about to study law and he was walking from one city to the next and a tremendous storm broke out. And the lightning was falling every place. And he said to God, God, if you will preserve me, if I'll not die in this storm, I promise I will serve you. He didn't die. He became a monk. His father was so disappointed. Didn't want to talk to him. He became a monk. and He became a great monk. And he studied. He became a learned monk. He understood the Greek, he understood the Hebrew, he understood the Latin, which was the the language that most of the clergy used, but the people didn't understand it. And he said that when he went to Rome, there was a a certain fable that there's a set of stairs in Rome. And if you were to climb these stairs on your knees and pray every step going up, That when you get to the top, you will cut so many years off of purgatory, you'll be able to go to God. He got to the top and the story says, a voice spoke to him and said, you can't come to me like this. He left Rome frustrated. Sometimes God needs to frustrate us. He got so frustrated that he began to study If I can't go to God with all the works the church says I have to do, what do I have to do? And it was studying that he began to see the glorious gospel of Jesus. And what is known today as the Reformation was simply an attempt by one who had seen light to help others to come into the light. It was never his plan to start another denomination of the church. That just kind of happens. He wanted to reform. He wanted to restore. Remember, um, um, Peter said it, there'll be times of restoration and refreshing that come from the presence of the Lord. The church needed that presence. And that presence is in the Word. And there are five basic big things that God gave us through Martin Luther, that we need to embrace even today. For like, I'll read this. Uh, perhaps I'll read this. If I like, I'm speaking German. Uh, I'll, let me read this first, and then we'll go into it. Psalm seventy-eight, verse five. Please understand. Ninety-nine percent of the time that I minister, I am not ministering in English. It's usually other tongues, and people have to get the interpretation of my German. But that's another story. Uh, Psalm seventy-eight, verse five. For he established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel which he commanded our fathers that they should make them known to their children that the generation to come might know them, even the children which should be born, who should arise and declare them to their children that they might set their hope in God and not forget the works of God but keep his word or commandment. That's why it's important that we look back so we can move forward. Now, we don't live in the back in the past, but if we don't know where we come from, we'll be robbed of a deep, rich heritage. When Martin Luther nailed those 96 theses on the wall of that church uh, door, do you know he was what they say in German, he was Vogelfrei? That means he could be killed on sight, by anyone, anytime, and there was a reward on his head. The only reason in the natural he survived that was because of the Duke of Saxon, who was sympathetic to Martin and what he heard Martin preach, that he had him kidnapped, had his name changed, and kept him as a captive for one year in a castle called Wittenberg, uh, uh, the Wattberg. And on the Wattberg, Because he was so bored, he went into this room that today is called the Lutherstube. And you can go in there, it's the Luther room. And in that room is where he translated the New Testament into German. And for the first time, a people could hear the word of God in a language that they understood. Now you can visit that castle today. I've been to that castle a number of times and the first time I remember walking into that Stuba, and you walk inside and suddenly you think I'm standing in this little room that changed the course of humanity. Right at this desk, right, right in this bed here he slept, right at this desk he worked and his work changed the course of humanity. Amen. Oh. And we... Larger part of the church doesn't have a clue. They heard of Mount Lutheran Reformation, but they don't know what it means. They don't mean they don't understand what it cost for him and later his family, because that same price was on his wife's head. And yet God used their courage and their stubbornness to change the course of history. Now let's talk about the big five, because that's really what I'm here to tell you tonight. There are five Latin terms that I'm going to teach you tonight. Sola gratia, sola fida, sola scriptura, solos Christos, soli Dio gloria. I will define each one of them. We will start with the first one. Sola gratia. Sola gratia is only grace. This was the first big one that... Luther realized, and if you really want to get into it, read Luther's notes on the book of Romans. It'll, it'll keep you busy for a couple of years. But we'll just look at this one verse, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8, it says, For by grace we are saved. That's it. God's unmerited favor, his love to us, much of the time in spite of us. That's how I define grace. Luther realized as he read the Gospels, as he was translating them into German, wait a minute, all the works in the world will never justify me before God. It's because God loved us first. And that's why he sent his only begotten Son. For God so loved the world. And Sola Grazia became the hot cry of Luther. Only grace. Only grace. You know, and grace is an amazing study. You need to take time to study it. Because you can never take grace for, for granted. The Bible says, Paul talked about the church in, in um, Galatia. That they frustrated the grace of God. Have you ever been frustrated? A lot of Christians are frustrated. It's because they frustrate the grace of God. Then they frustrate themselves. Then they frustrate everybody else around them. I'll tell you what, we can get into this real quick, us word of faith people. Us spare filled word of faith people. Oh, we can do it real quick. We start making our list of what we got to do so God will hear our prayer and get him to finally do what we desire him to do. And now God, I have did this, I fasted and I prayed and I witnessed and I did all this. I'm waiting for your answer. And God just shakes his head and says, you're frustrating yourself, me and everybody else. God's favor does not come to you because you do something. It comes to you in spite of you. Luther realized, walking those steps on my knees isn't going to get me closer to God. Now, it doesn't mean that works don't have a place. But when you put the works in place of grace, when you put it in front of grace, you've got the, the cart before the horse. It don't work that way. It starts with God, that he loved us first. John said, therein do we know the love of God, that he first loved us? Seeing God's grace is just his love in action. It's how his love is expressed to us. He blesses us in spite of us. And that was the first thing Luther saw. The Bible talks about in, in the book of Galatians, you can fall from grace. Sometimes we church people, we take grace for granted. Yeah. Well, I've got the grace of God. It just covers everything I do. No, it doesn't. You can fall right out of grace. How do they fall out of grace? You start working it out yourself. You start thinking, okay, I need to do this, and I need to do this, and I need to do this. And that's going to get me to the place where God will give me what I think I need. No, that's not how it works. Let's not frustrate the grace of God. Let's not fall from grace. Let's live in grace. It's called the gospel, the glorious gospel of grace. But it didn't stop there. It didn't stop with grace alone. The sentence goes on. When we read in Ephesians, it says, For by grace we are saved through faith, and that not of ourselves. It is the gift of God. I wish you understood German, because the German is so much better it says, des glaubens. It is delivered to you. It comes to you by means in the way of faith. But even that faith is not something you produced. It's the gift of God. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. 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 So Luther realized, Sola gratia, only, fa- only grace. Sola fida, only faith. And the faith that comes from, from hearing the word of God. Need a, not a faith that we can somehow work up ourselves. Right. Faith is a gift. The Bible talks about the measure of faith. It is given unto every man the measure of faith. How did I get that? When you heard for the first time and you really said, Lord, I want to know you. Jesus come into my life. Forgive me of my sin. In that moment, God not only forgave your sin, God not only gave you a new heart, God also gave you the measure of faith. Now, you're responsible and I'm responsible to develop that measure. That's our job. But God gives us the faith that we can receive the grace from. The grace comes from God. The ability to receive that grace is faith. But God says, I know you humans, I'm going to give you the faith as well. And all we have to do is say yes. Yes, Lord. Luther realized, sola gratia, only grace, sola fida, only faith. But the journey went on. It wasn't only those two. <laughs> he came down to sola scriptura. Oh, I love this one. Only the Word. The Word. Let's look at this. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. Say all scripture. Say that with me. All scripture. How much of the scripture? scripture. You mean all of it? All of the scripture is inspired by God. And look at this. And it says here, the scripture is inspired of God and is profitable for doctrine, reproof, correction, instruction in righteousness. That the man, let's say that the people of God may be perfect. And that doesn't mean that you never make a mistake again. The word perfect here means mature. That you may mature, that you might grow up, that you may be thoroughly furnished unto all good. What? Ah, see, works do play a role, but they play the role after the grace and the faith has come. Mm. Now, this word inspired, we've got to talk about that for a minute. When you read the story of creation, and you'll you'll see chapter 1, chapter 2. Chapter 2 is really what we call, in, in theological terms, it's a parenthetical chapter. Because it takes chapter one, what happened, and it breaks it down into more detail. And in in you'll see when God created Adam, he literally, the Hebrew says he lumped him together from clay of the earth. Just slapped him together. Now, when God made Eve, I'm not kidding you, the Hebrew says he artistically designed her. She got the better deal, guys. We got slapped together. But the thing that made both of us, male and female, special is when God breathed on us. He breathed on Adam and he became a living soul. What did Jesus do when he was raised from the dead? John chapter 20. As the Father sent me, so send I ye. And he breathed on them and said, "Receive ye the Holy Ghost." They weren't filled with the Holy Ghost. The same guys had to wait in Jerusalem till the Holy Ghost came upon them. But they got back that life that Adam lost. Right. Yeah. Now, here's what I, why. Why am I saying that? Because it's the same word, inspired. God. You could translate this. God. All Scripture is God breathed. All Scripture. It's got the breath of God on it. Everything you read from. The beginning of Genesis all the way to Revelation has God's very breath in it. Luther realized we're not talking about translating a book here. We're not talking about a novel. This is a living document that's been written from the heart of God. And he sent it to us that we would come out of darkness and step into light. Sola Scriptura. Only the word. You see, the early church understood that. you know what Paul told Timothy, a young preacher? He said to him, he said, you be instant in season, not a season, but you preach the word. Yes. Yes. Right. Not the latest fad. Not what people think. Now it's good to observe society and it's good to learn things as we progress and learn from science and all that. That's wonderful. But don't stop preaching the word and all that. Because it's the word that gives life. Solo gratia. Solo fida. Solo scriptura. Only the word. Wow. And then he realized it's so important that we're Christ-centered. Solos Christos. Only Christ. Now I thought about Paul. When you think about Paul coming down to the city of Corinth. He had left Athens, you can read the book of Acts, he leaves Athens, he had all this intellectual discourse and he tried his best to help those people to see. There was no church, you don't hear about a great church in the early church in Athens, it's not there. But he leaves Athens and he goes to Corinth. You should read what he said, you know what he said in chapter 2, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 1? He said, for when I came amongst you, I determined not to know anything else but Christ and him crucified. Now, Paul knew a lot of stuff, but he determined not to know anything else. Paul realized it's Christ, it's Christ. When Jesus is not the center of what we're doing, then it's lifeless. Solos, Christos, only Jesus, only Christ. Wow. Wow. I love what Paul said in Second, uh, Second Timothy. In chapter 1, verse 12, he said this. He said, for I know whom I have believed. Yeah. Most Christians are trying to find out what they believe. Yeah. Well, what do you believe, brother? What do you believe about healing? What do you believe about tongues? What do you believe about... It's good to study all those things, but more important than any of that, I know in whom I believe. Because when you know in whom you believe, he'll lead you into all the truth. He'll help you to see and understand. That's why the Holy Ghost has been sent. Jesus said, he'll lead you into all the truth. But it's important that we have a heart's desire to know him. Above all, solos Christos. Paul, in the same book, he goes on to say that we should pray. We should pray for the leaders of the land. We should pray for all men. And he tells us why. So that we, we who which we? We who prayed. It's not just for everybody. It's not talking about that the whole nation is going to be perfect and everything. No. You that prayed will live a quiet and peaceful life in godliness and all godliness and honesty. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God. Who would that all men... Be saved and come to the knowledge of the Son of Jesus, of his Son, Jesus Christ. For there is only one God and only one mediator between God and men. The man, Christ Jesus. See, there's only one mediator. And Martin Luther realized, wait a minute, all that I've been doing all those years. Waste of time in the light of Solos Christos, only Christ. And then the last one. It's the big one. When I go home, we're going to start this whole study. I will take six weeks. First week, when I go home, it'll be kind of a general thing that I'm doing tonight. But then we will spend a Sunday on each one. Grace, faith, scripture, Christ-centered. And then the last one, we're going to have a party. Because the last one is solely solely deal. Gloria, glory to God alone. Glory to God alone. You know, I'm a great fan of Johann Sebastian Bach, probably the greatest musician that ever lived. All his music he ever wrote for church, and, and you have to understand when. Uh, and I, I've I've been to Leipzig, and that was the city he lived in, and the St Thomas Church is where. He worked. Johann would go to work. He had 12 kids or something, you know. So he probably got out of the house real early on Monday morning. And he goes to his office, which was the church, and he wrote a complete cantata, a complete movement for the following Sunday. We have trouble learning the chorus that we sung three weeks ago. He did that week. For week, for week, for week. And everyone he wrote, he wrote always this at the end SDG, soli del gloria, only for God's glory. Today, they want to know the copyrights. (laughs) Well, that's another subject. We won't even go there. SDG, only for God's glory, only for God's glory. When the church begins again to realize what the Reformation, it's not just a point in history. It's something God gave us that we can build on today. These big five are necessary today to understand it's only grace, to understand it's only faith, to understand you need the word. To understand Christ has to be in the center of everything and to understand whatever we do, whatever we say. Well, don't listen to my word for it. Listen to what Paul said. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31. Wherever, Whatever, therefore you eat or drink. We like eating, we like drinking. Or whatever you do. So apparently these people are like Italians. They spent most of their time eating and drinking. And the rest of the time, whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Do all. Now, what's the definition of all? You don't have to go to seminary for this. All means everything. Do all for the glory of God. So tomorrow when you go to work, get rid of your bad attitude. Go for the glory of God. When you've got to visit that neighbor or have a talk with that neighbor because they shovel the snow into your yard, do all to the glory of God. Stop being, having an attitude. It'll change your perspective on life. Everything you do should reflect to the glory of God. So whether you're eating, whether you're drinking or whatever it is, Do all to the glory of God. Paul goes on to say in 2 Corinthians, For all the promises of God in Christ Jesus, they are, yes and amen, unto the glory of God. We leave that out so often. We only say, and we're happy to say, that the the promises of God are yes and amen, but read the sentence to the end. It's unto the glory of God that when a promise of God comes to pass in your life, you can say, look what Jesus has done in my life. And what he's done for me, he'll do for you. Do all to the glory of God. In Second Corinthians chapter four verse fifteen, he says, "For all things are for your sakes, that the abundant grace might through the thanksgiving of many redou- redou- uh, re- redound to the glory of God." In other words, the things that the church were experiencing because somebody paid a price. In that case, it was Paul and his team, but he wasn't—he wasn't having a pity party. He was saying, enjoy it, take it, live in it, but realize it's to redound to the glory of God. Wow. The big five. They are as relevant and as important today. As for 500 years, in the year 1517, and Martin Luther took those 96 theses and he nailed them to that church door and said, this is the beginning of something new. Wow. And you know what's amazing? How God prepared that whole thing. Had it been any other time in history... They would have never been able to propagate the gospel like they did at that time. Because right a few cities away, at the same time, a guy named Gutenberg discovered the printing press. And the first thing that ever was printed was the New Testament. Must have been a coincidence. No, it was God moving on the hearts of humans to pull us out of darkness into his marvelous light. And every generation needs a fresh understanding of what caught Martin Luther. Call it what you want to call it, a fresh reformation, a fresh restoration. We need to understand those big five are the things we build on. Only grace, only faith, only the Word, only Christ. Everything to the glory of God. Let's pray. Father, I want to thank you for the opportunity that we could have this short history lesson. But I pray that it just wasn't dry facts tonight, but that you filled it with your spirit tonight to lift our perspective to a higher place, that we might see what you are doing not only in the past 500 years ago, but today in our own lives. That the things we heard tonight that transformed a whole whole continent and changed humanity changes our lives today. As we begin to understand the importance of grace and faith and the word and having Christ centered in our lives, then we begin to do what we're called to do, live for your glory. Whatever we do, wherever we go, to your glory. And so, Father, I pray for those that came tonight, maybe disheartened and challenged and just thinking they have to learn to just resolve to the situation. The Spirit of the Lord would say to you tonight, No, 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 no. I have not changed. Just like I moved upon Martin Luther's life, just as I used his obedience to bless many, so I am today and desire to be for you tonight. If you'll begin to understand what's important to me, if you'll begin to receive that which I've already done for you, let my grace abound in your life. Let the faith of God rise up in your heart. Let the word of God take preeminence in your decisions and let the spirit of God always draw you close to where Jesus is and remember your life should be a vessel to the glory of God if you'll do these things remember these things walk in these things says the spirit of God you will not be unfruitful no you will look back one day and say how did I get to this place for you see God says to you tonight I desire to to use your life to change the things that are around you, the people that are around you, the situations that are around you so don't be like just the people don't just criticize and murmur and complain rise above it all for I've called you to walk with me where I walk I said unto you, seek ye the things that are open, that are are up with me, not the things that are earthly, that are beneath. So take that to heart and begin to rise up as my sons, my daughters. For others have gone before you that you might walk on. And don't ever forget it. One generation shall tell the other that together we may move in a direction that brings glory to God. And that's what I'm doing in your day and hour, says the Spirit of grace. So don't think, I don't see your situation. Don't think, I don't hear your prayers. For I have come to you tonight to tell you, look at the big picture. Look at what's bigger than what the thing you think is challenging you right now and you will see my deliverance. You will see my gift. You will see my help and you will not be disappointed. You will know me as the faithful God. Father, thank you. Let those words strengthen the hearts that need to be strengthened. And thank you for the opportunity tonight, that we can stand and bask in your presence in this house from the very first song to the last amen tonight. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you that you touch our lives and strengthen us. Give us comfort and give us strength for tomorrow. And I ask one last thing, Father. Help us not to forget this in the morning. Help us to be reminded, only grace, only faith, only the word. Ah, keep Christ in the center of everything and do it all for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.